0: BAM Radio Network.
1: So, what would you say are some of the indicators of success or progress for this kind of professional learning culture? You know, what what are the things you look for when you visit a school that, that has started this kind of transformation?
0: This kind of a transformation, we're going to see different kinds of conversations among adults. We're going to see more vulnerability in their willingness to talk about um, not just what went great and sharing great best practices, whatever that is, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. but willingness to talk about the kid who I can't reach and the lesson that didn't go well. That's where we're going to really get to addressing equity.
1: Welcome to ASCD Connect, supporting your journey as a life-changing educator. Here's your host. The COVID-19 pandemic has exposed and worsened many long-standing racial equity issues in education. Are we finally at a point where schools can take steps to genuinely transform their professional learning cultures to better recognize? And address racial disparities in student outcomes and opportunities? If so, what might that entail? I'm Anthony Rabora, the editor-in-chief of ASCT's Educational Leadership. I'm joined today by Jill Harrison-Berg, who is a leadership coach and school improvement consultant. She's also a regular columnist for Educational Leadership and the author of the new book, Uprooting Instructional Inequity, The Power of Inquiry-Based Professional Learning. Welcome, Jill. It's great to talk to you again. So in your work, in your book, in your recent columns, uh, there's a very clear and very understandable frustration with the persistence of inequity in schools. You cite a lot of data to show the gaps in achievement resources that have gone on for a while. You mentioned that one issue is that schools have tended to treat disparities by race as a one-dimensional problem. Can you talk about what you mean by that?
0: Yes. Well... Um, oftentimes schools think that they can address the inequity in schools by simply changing something. They're looking for some magic strategy or you know, some some checklist that they can pursue that's going to get them the answer. Um, and I like to think about this kind of change as we know it's more complex than that. Um, and so I like to think of it as Um, change that has to happen on at least three levels. We like to think about the fact that the practices and uh, policies and things that we have currently are that way because of beliefs that we have. And so if we try to simply change our practices, but we still have uh, mindsets that are working against those practices, we're really going to get in our own way and get stuck. Similarly, if we just try to change our policies, but um, haven't changed our mindsets, then we will be creating new policies that really replicate just the same problems. Um, So with this book, I really try to give schools a way of changing the relationships of adults, of engaging with each other in a new way so that it can shift not only their practices, but also the mindsets that educators have, as well as help them to use that inquiry to have clues about how their systems need to change.
1: Right. So it's really a deeper approach. Um, So what is the one way out of this? Can you describe what you mean by inquiry based PD and why Mm -hmm. you think it has its significant potential?
0: Absolutely. Inquiry based professional learning is professional learning that's grounded in evidence about teachers' practice and students' learning. And by looking together at that evidence, educators are able to develop shared language around not only what the problem is, but what kinds of approaches they might take, what kinds of thinking they need to do differently in order to make a difference. While we see in, I think of inquiry as a habit of mind, it's also something that is done in formal ways. And the book lays out four formal stages that can help educators to collaborate in drilling down into the sources of these.
1: Right. Okay. In, In your book, you do provide a very detailed framework with examples and the various roles accounted for. But are there ways that you could suggest that school leaders or teachers themselves could get started on this path? Like, how could they begin integrating this approach if they were interested in it?
0: Well, I think um, some important ways to begin, certainly um, any of this kind of work begins with trust building. So educators will want to be thinking together about what are some of the um, ways in which that they can um, build shared understandings about respect and personal regard, about one another's competence and about integrity. So that's certainly a foundation. Um, Beyond that allows them to feel the psychological safety that's needed to share and have candid conversations about their data, about their evidence of teaching and and of student learning.
1: What would you say are the biggest barriers to this kind of collective inquiry approach?
0: Well, of course, um, beyond the lack of trust, time is always the challenge. Mm -hmm. The kinds of conversations that folks need to have are not quick conversations. And while we feel a sense of urgency about the issue, urgency, that sense of urgency can sometimes be an enemy of the kinds of conversations we need to have. So again, this work really needs protected time. In my view, that's why professional learning needs to be the place where this happens. Too often schools have voluntary equity committees after school and <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, opportunities for somebody to be stipended for professional learning. But in general, it's not the educators who most need it who volunteer to do those things. So we really need protected time within the contracted school day or within the, um, you know, the, the time that's a part of staff collaboration for teachers to interact around this work. Um, and professional learning is the perfect place to do that.
1: Right. Because as you're saying, it requires a lot of depth and, and difficult issues, obviously. So what would you say are some of the indicators of success or progress for this kind of professional learning culture? You know, what, what are the things you look for when you visit a school that, that has started this kind of transformation?
0: This kind of a transformation, we're going to see different kinds of conversations among adults. We're going to see more vulnerability in their willingness to talk about um, not just what went great and sharing great best practices, whatever that is, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. but willingness to talk about the kid who I can't reach and the lesson that didn't go well because that's where we're going to really get to addressing equity is when I can feel like I honest and confident enough to bring to my colleagues to admit to my colleagues that there's some place where I need help and I trust them and their competence to help me to meet those needs
1: so you're talking about the effects on adult interactions that important Mm -hmm. part of that is there a point where you look at student outcomes or student work
0: Oh, certainly, certainly. Ultimately, it's always about the impact on student learning. So we want to be able to look at student work and, and various kinds of evidence in, in different ways. I find that schools get a lot of traction out of engaging in empathy interviews with students mm. in order to really understand um, their view of their learning. And how they're interpreting, you know, the the data and um, the results and product and performances that they're creating, but also for teachers to just look directly at at that student work, um, whether it's in the form of data or student products and artifacts.
1: I see. So I, I just wanted to get your impression. So, you note in the book that, and as we all know, that the pandemic has had a huge effect on our recognition of inequity and the effects of inequity, both in schools and in our society. But there's also been a lot of pushback recently on equity, at least the word equity, in some in some places. Are you seeing? I'm curious what you're seeing. Is, but are you seeing evidence that this is galvanizing constructive action in schools or not? Or and, and what's your advice to school leaders to move forward? As we've Absolutely. Had-
0: Absolutely. Um, well, I'm here in Massachusetts, so it's a state um, where there's a lot of open dialogue and commitment. People are really doubling down in the face of, of DI rhetoric around the country. So I think that is important that um, that's happening in this particular context. I do believe that um, at the end of the day, we are talking about recognizing the fundamental humanity of each and every student. So being able to bring it back to that is really you know, one of the ways to be able to move beyond all of the buzzwords and, and terms that folks are, uh, you know, misconstruing the definitions of for their own purposes. Um, at the end of the day, we can bring it back down to the fact that each and every one of us is a human and deserves dignity and education.
1: That's great. Thank you so much for sharing your insights, Jill. And thanks to all our listeners. We hope you'll subscribe to this podcast for more great information and guests like Jill Harrison-Berg, to learn more about Jill's book, please visit www.ASED.org books. If you like the ASCD Connect podcast, you'll enjoy listening to ISTE's Learning Unleashed with Carl Hooker. Check it out wherever you get your podcasts. You've been listening to ASCD Connect, supporting your journey as a life-changing educator. Thanks for listening. This program is produced by Accretive Media for the BAM Radio Network. Thanks for listening.